Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hicks! Browns are going to win! Bayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. fans now cover two a podcast on the cleveland browns hey everybody welcome back to the podcast this is dan kadar and i'm joined as always by browns beat writer nate ulrich believe it or not we have some things to talk about today even though we are in the midst of the NFL playoffs where the Browns are not participating this season. And um, there's there's really not a ton going on, but yet there there is. So we're going to talk about a few things to start the podcast this week. We're going to talk about the Vikings hiring Browns front office member Quasi Adolfo Mensa uh, for their GM and what that means for the Browns. We're going to talk some Baker Mayfield and Nate has a really detailed kind of off-season primer, if you will, on the Browns. It's over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. And we're here to give out our annual awards. That's something we have done every year on the podcast. So that that is going to be on today's episode. But before we get to all of that, make sure you've checked out USA Today Sports Plus from our friends over there at USA Today. It's available on the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. It's a new look at covering sports and some fresh names, some familiar names. It's it's fun stuff. So check out USA Today Sports Plus and let us know what you think. Nate, let's start with the news off the jump. The, the big news of today, we're recording on Tuesday afternoon. Browns are losing a front office member. And Quasi Adolfo Mensa, who is headed to Kevin Stefanski's old team, the Minnesota Vikings, to be their new general manager after they let go of long, long, long time GM um, Rick Spielman. So what what are your thoughts on, on this move in the Browns front office? What does it mean for Cleveland? Well, first of all, I think it's really cool. Um for Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, who I don't know very well, but have heard great things about and uh, got into kind of talk to in a news conference setting um, before and just really comes off as an impressive guy. And I think it's really cool for Andrew Barry that, you know, he brought in uh, somebody uh, with Kwesi's background, which isn't a traditional NFL front office background. And, you know, he, he was a guy who had a finance career. Uh, he came in uh, to the 49ers, uh, you know, research department, uh, work in the analytics, and then came over to the Browns from there and spent the past two seasons with the Browns. And uh, 
what a rise, you know. So I think that's really cool that Andrew Barry um, is big on developing, uh, you know, guys, um, and, you know, in the front office, women too. Um, and, you know, for one of his uh, top lieutenants, uh, the guy who's essentially served as his assistant GM, even though his title is VP of football operations, uh, for that guy to be able to ascend this quickly and, and get a GM opportunity, I think is uh, kind of a feather in the cap of, of Andrew Barry um, and and obviously Kwesi himself. So that's kind of the, the quick rundown of what I think it means for those guys. And then Dan, you're, you're the draft guy, man. And you, and you got me going on it and I got clarification from the NFL. Um, you know, as long as this hire goes through and is approved, is, is, is you know, uh, finalized, um, the Browns would receive uh, a third round compensatory pick in this year's draft and next year's draft as part of a resolution approved by NFL owners in November 2020 to promote um, the development of minority head coaching and GM candidates. Um, and so as long as, uh, you know, a, a team has employed one of those candidates uh, for two full seasons is the official language that I got in the resolution uh, that was passed by NFL owners. Um, then that club that loses that candidate, in this case, it would be the Browns, uh, would receive the draft pick compensation. So that's pretty cool um, that the Browns would benefit in that way. It's kind of a win-win-win for Quasi, the Browns, and the Vikings. It really is. And also, to some degree, it kind of proves that the Browns are a healthy franchise at this point. You know, like how many previous regimes had guys picked out of the front office to be such a high-level position? Not... Not many I can think of immediately off the top of my head. So, you know, it's it's a sign of things are being run in the right way in Cleveland. And other franchises are taking notice. In this case, like I said, the, the, the Vikings, Rick Spielman was there for a really, really, really long time. He was let go as well as head coach Mike Zimmer. So... It's going to be interesting to see how the Browns shuffle their their front office to react to this. But getting the two third round picks, you know, that that's a big deal. I mean, these aren't throwaway picks whatsoever. Um, it, 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 if nothing else, it gives the Browns some trade flexibility in the draft, whether this year or next year. By that, I mean, you know, you, you often see teams trade say a, a third round pick and something else for a second round pick the next year, or uh, they, they can package their third round picks and, and move up into the second round this year, you know, things, things of that nature. So it, it's a really big deal. Uh, tip of the cap to Andrew Barry for, you know, identifying him and, and hiring him and, and bringing him along. So, I, I think it's, it's all things good for the Browns. Obviously it's, it sucks losing somebody who is so highly thought of, but the, the, the end result is you get a pick now that while it's going to be, you know, in the high nineties or low one hundreds, somewhere around there in the draft, you never know what that could turn into, you know, like 
I, I have last year's draft up right now, for instance. Um, Quinn Miners was picked by the Broncos in, in one of these compensatory picks. He looks like he's going to be a pretty good player. So you, you never know. Or like we, we talked several weeks ago, well, months ago now at this point, maybe, the, the kicker situation. What if the Browns would have picked Evan McPherson, who is now looking like Justin Tucker Redux for the Bengals? You know, the, the Browns can take a chance now in the draft, a position they may not have used a draft pick for previously. They could now. So I don't know. I, I'm pretty excited about how this is playing out for the Browns, Nate. Yeah, I mean, that that's... That's a great point, and I knew you were. I knew you were, because I think that the thing that, you know, you make a great point about the healthy franchise, but I know that you immediately, when I told you, hey, this is coming, um, the draft pick entered your mind, and actually draft picks plural, um, because of what that could turn into and the potential there. I mean, you talk about the examples from from the recent draft, and you know, not every pick obviously is going to hit, but the Browns have, have picked up a couple of guys even in the sixth round the last two years who have been uh, contributors early on and, and have a lot of potential in Donovan Peoples-Jones and Demetric Felton. So um, absolutely. Uh, the other little bit of news today is, uh, well, yesterday the, the PFWA came out with its all NFL teams and um, Joel Batonio, Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb on that. And then today was the PFWA all-rookie team released, and I popped in my head because Demetric Felton actually got a spot on that as a punt returner, and then Jeremiah Usakormo at linebacker and Greg Newsom second at cornerback. So I think that was some well-deserved recognition for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And quite honestly, I'm a little surprised Wyatt Teller didn't get a little more attention for that. Uh, he, You know, they – they go two teams on those, right? I'm, I'm a little surprised he didn't get second team consideration there. He got second team all pro by the AP, but not on this one. Mm. Well, I choose to believe the AP. I got to be honest. Um, well, I got to be, I got to counter that though. And I wrote about sure. this. It really, it really drew my ire. Nick Chubb did not get a spot on the AP all pro team, which is recognized by the, oh. the official all pro team. Now, Jonathan Taylor was a unanimous all pro. Sure. The Indianapolis Colts running back and rightfully so. However, all 50 votes went to him. And for some reason, the AP, it's a, it's a, it's a quirk in the voting system. They did not cast votes for a second team back and just left it vac- vacant. The only spot on the entire AP roster, first or second team, the only spot that was left vacant was second team running back, and that should have had Nick Chubb's name on it. So I do think there was some justice served in the PFWA team. Um, I wasn't as concerned about Wyatt Teller um, Mm. just because he got his all-per recognition with two votes. He got on the uh, second team AP team. Yeah. And if a vote for a second running back were taken, Nick Chubb would have gotten a hell of a lot more than two votes. So it's just kind of a weird way he got ripped off. You need to get after your guy Tom Withers over at the Associated Press and see what get to the bottom of this. We, we but he doesn't vote. It's, a, it's a, the AP assembles a um, a panel of um, 
you know, 50 media members who cover the league on a regular basis. They call it a nationwide panel. And so, like, for instance, like a Peter King is on. So he doesn't work for the AP, but he's on that panel. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, just to clarify, the, the AP writers per se don't. I mean, some of I think some of them have votes, you know, but it's a it's a panel assembled by the AP to vote for the all pro teams. Man, we we need to make an effort to get you or Tom Withers on that voting committee. Um, you know, if we have to take some people out, you know, Peter King, whoever, we, we might have to do that because that's ridiculous. But Yeah, get get Tom on there. I love Tom and good friend. And um, <sighs> I couldn't agree more with, with the, the Nick Chubb thing was just puzzled. Now, you know, Miles Garrett, Joel Batonio. Hey, and, and, you know, first team all pro, by the way, for Joel for the first time mm-hmm. in his career. He had been a second team all pro the previous three seasons. So that was nice to see him get that, um, you know, just because I think he had another outstanding season. But this is why we can get to our awards, Dan, because, you know, we don't have those votes, but we have these votes. That's right. And these are these are the ones that really matter. Uh while they're not tied into any player contract clauses or, or anything of that nature, you can rest assured that people care about our, our awards, and we're going to give them out. Uh, Nate, before we get to those, though, any quick thoughts on the Baker Mayfield social media thing? Um, I just want to get your your thoughts on that because, it, I don't know, man, like, it's such a it's such a silly thing to have to care about, but it it does seem to affect Baker Mayfield, the, what what people put on social media. So, your your thoughts there? Yeah, it does seem to affect, and and so I wrote about it. My take was I agree with him when he said, you know, essentially that social media is toxic, and he's kept his 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 circle, uh, you know tight or or, or or close or whatever and needs to get back to that um and you know only family and friends and like i i you know i agree with the strategy that he needs to scale back from social media and not let it become a distraction or you know something that that, that, that eats at him and you know there's context here right this is coming on the heels of his wife saying that he she saw that he received death threats on social media last month. So, I mean, it's not just like, oh, you know, a one-time thing. This is an ongoing thing, you know, drama, distraction, whatever. Uh, a lot of it caused by social media, social media interaction, things he sees on social media, things he likes, uh, things he responds to. And I just think here's a guy coming back from, a uh, tremendous amount of adversity he faced in the 2021 season uh, because of injuries and, and other factors that we talked about a million times. Just like make the main thing the main thing and social media is not it. So like I agree with him. I agree that he needs to scale it back. I'm not saying delete your account, but scale it back. Like LeBron goes dark on social media in the playoffs. I believe that's well documented like there's a reason for that like focus uh <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and discipline uh you know they those things can help those things matter mindset confidence it's important you know if social media is eating at you get, 
don't don't let it occupy your time, your thoughts, your mind. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with him. And, and here's how I know Baker Mayfield is is has reached the point where he's ultra polarizing. I, I wrote that I essentially I agree with him. He needs to stick to this personal, you know, policy or uh, strategy uh, as it pertains to social media. Because in the past, he's, he's said many times, oh, I, I you know, got to block out the outside noise. And I just I think there's so many examples to cover him for four years that he doesn't do that enough. Like he talks about blocking out the outside noise, but then the outside noise isn't blocked out enough. And I get that he draws motivation and everything from it. But I think there needs to be a better balance there. And I think he struck the right note with that the other night when he was obviously bugged by some tweets at Dustin Fox uh, you know, 92-3, the fan, former NFL player, Ohio State, Glen Oak High School, you know, fired off um, during the, the AFC divisional round game when when Patrick Mahomes and, and Josh Allen were, were playing lights out in that Chiefs-Bills instant classic. And, you know, Baker liked one of those tweets. And I get it. You know, you stuff his motivation. That's his MO. That's what he's done. But at the same time, when he tweets out that social media is toxic and you know, he needs to scale back from it. I, like, I agree with that. So I don't think that's like a controversial take. Like, I agree that Baker Mayfield uh, is taking the, the the right approach here. I just urge him to stick to it. I just think it would be a really good idea for him. But the reaction I got to that was, like, interesting in, in like, in a negative way. Like, people think that, like, um, you know, I'm saying Baker doesn't deserve to stick up for himself, defend himself, or, you know, um, you know, media um, is always saying that Baker shouldn't, you know, you know, clap back at media, that kind of thing. Like, no, like this isn't like a wild idea. It's just uh, <laughs> do what's best for you. And I think that he said the right thing. He said that he was going to uh, handle it the right way and, and he just needs to stick to it. So I think it's interesting. Like you, right now, you can't discuss anything with him without it being like an argument or a debate for some people and you know dustin fox I, I i wanted to go and listen to what he had to say on monday before i wrote about this because you know he has a, a radio show and you know maybe in the heat of the moment in the game he's tweeting one thing but i wanted to see what he had to say about it on monday and you know i listened to the show and he doubled down uh he was very strong in his criticism of of baker mayfield and so at that point, I thought, OK, like, you know, this this wasn't, you know, just tweeting during the game. This is this is, you know, what he's sticking with. And um, I just wanted to do that due diligence. Now, I got people accusing me of being Dustin's friend and all this. I am not friends with Dustin Fox. Uh, I, I'm barely an acquaintance of him. I've talked to him maybe a couple of <laughs> times. I've talked to Baker Mayfield many, 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 many countless more times publicly and privately, news conference setting and otherwise, than I have with Dustin Fox. I'm not his friend. I just think that he represents something that's very common right now, and that is criticism aimed at Baker Mayfield, right? For off-field behavior, for on-field performance. Um, and this is only January. Like, the season right. isn't going to start till September, he's going to have this flying at him from all directions, locally, nationally. And I think scaling back from social media is a good idea because it's not going to stop. This is going to be relentless. And this is a guy in 2019 who who said he had 
had doubted himself, um, you know, during that rough season. And, you know, obviously confidence was an issue. So, like, for Baker to make the comeback he needs to make, and if the Browns are going to stick with him as their starter in 2022, which Andrew Barry said recently is the plan, then he's got to be at his best, not only physically coming back from that torn labrum surgery that he had last week, but also mentally. It's such a huge factor here. So I agree, Baker, uh, that he needs to scale back on social media. And I'm surprised at the backlash I've gotten for saying that. Also, uh, Dustin used a quote uh, saying that the Baker bros are mad at him. So I threw the, the term Baker bros in quote in, in my column and in a headline. I got some people really offended by that. So my question to you is, is Baker bros offensive, Dan? Um, no, I, I think it's just like a, it's just like a silly moniker as an easy way to identify people who happen to still like Baker Mayfield and, and support him no matter what, because he's currently the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. So, you know, if you're offended by the, the term Baker bros, maybe you should take a break from social media too. You know, like, so silly. But this whole thing is so silly. Like, just the, the notion of Baker Mayfield getting motivation from social media. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe this is just showing my age. And I, I turned 40 here in a couple months. But getting motivation from social media is, it's kind of weak. I mean, the motivation should be going to the playoffs. The motivation should be getting to the Super Bowl for the first time for this franchise. The motivation should be becoming the NFL's next gigantically paid quarterback. Like, I, I, I fail to see how social media is, is a motivator at all compared to those things, let alone, like, you know, how your peers feel about you or... Um, you know, any, any number of things. So the social media motivation is, is kind of lame to me is all. Um, well, can I respond Baker, to that real quick? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's just like, so he was a two-time college walk-on, and we all know that. And doubt and skepticism have been part of his story, right? And, and using that to fuel him and overcome it. That's what he's, you know, so if he sees that doubt and skepticism like he did from Dustin Fox the other day, he likes that to, to save that and, and look at it and, and, and motivate him. That that's where it comes from. And, you know, I get it. Like how long can you um, thrive off that is kind of the question you're asking, but like Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, like, I mean, that's what those guys did. And so that isn't True. new and that's not unique to Baker Mayfield. And like, I was watching the Browns documentary they do in house. Um, they have their own production team, video team. And like Dimitri Felton, who we mentioned earlier, Seems like the nicest guy. Um, he <laughs> he wrote down all the receivers and all the running backs who were picked before him on a piece of paper, you know, because he had to wait till the sixth round. Then he took a photo of that on his phone and he made it his uh, uh, his background or whatever. I'm I'm not using the right term. Not a screensaver, but whatever. It, whatever your yeah, yeah, the wallpaper wallpaper so every time he looks at his phone he sees that <laughs> every single time 
And you know what I mean? And that, you know, so like guys find different ways of moving. And I don't have a problem with that. I just think that there's a bounce like with the social media when, when, again, when there's a whole lot to it, when there's death threats, when your wife is being bothered by that stuff, you know, in Baker Mayfield's case, I just think it, I think really, you know, just, just, you know, limiting it and, and really just throwing everything every i know he's going to work hard to come back from it but just getting in the right mindset this off season i think would be huge for him i think less social media could help that that that's it that's really mm-hmm. my point here and i think yeah. that that's where he's trying to go with this so i think it's a good idea and he needs to do it follow through right yeah for sure i oh, agree oh one more thing yeah yeah, uh, yeah when people say oh he's not allowed to defend himself like you're missing my point you're missing that point him Getting off social media or being on it a lot less often is defending himself. That's the way he can protect his his mental, his mindset. Get off it. I think that is a way to defend himself. Just not the way people think. You know, people think that you need to go on there and trash other people and clap back and blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's productive. No, it is certainly not. I can't remember the last... Um social media controversy that Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow had. That's all. Um, but let's move on. because We have a, we, we have a host of uh, our cover two awards to give out. Like I said, we've done this every year. We've recorded the podcast. Nate was nice enough to send me along our list from last year. So we're going to base it off of that. And the tone of last year's, awards nate has a story about it on the site if you if you do a search for uh what's your headline here uh if you basically if you just do a search for nate Ulrich's 2020 awards you should be able to find it the tone of that was extremely positive of course the browns won a playoff game things were looking on the up and up so i'll be interested to see the tone of of this year's awards but nate let's Let's get it started. I wish we had some fancy music to play or a red carpet, but we don't. So with that in mind, let's let's just start at the top and work down. Who is your offensive player of the year? Well, I'm going to go rapid fire here for the most part. And this is sure. going to be Joel Batonio, who I just mentioned. Like I said, first team all pro for the first time in his career. He had the team's highest pro football focus grade. Um, if you know, you put weight into that, which I do put some weight into it. And I think that he just had a great season. Um, eyeball test too. And, you know, another thing that was really impressive, we knew he was a great left guard. Well, he had to play because of COVID and a pinch it created two games at left tackle and played really well. Um, also last year, I picked him for the same award, but I picked him more as a representative of the offensive line. Cause I thought that unit played so well, became the strength of the team last year you know, the 2020 season. And so I picked him to kind of represent that unit this year. Not so much. This is just his individual excellence is why I'm giving him this award. I think we might be verging on the, um, at some point renaming this, the Joel Batonio offensive player of the year, because I, I agree. And that that's, I believe we both picked him last year too. And just a, an excellent player. I know we want to do this rapid fire, but really quickly, Nate, I, I just need your quick opinion. Is Joel Batonio currently 
on a Hall of Fame trajectory? I think he is, but he's got to keep this going for, you know, probably four or five more years. Um, yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, but I've talked to Bob Wiley and Bill Callahan about this, done some stories. Andrew Barry has mentioned this. I talked to Joe Thomas about this. Um, and they all think he's on the trajectory. But, yeah, it's it's a matter of basically – uh, finishing his career the way it's gone the last four seasons and and Joel's really good so it's possible but you got to be lucky too with health and everything yeah I agree completely I just wanted to ask the question because it, just every year he, he's so good every single year um, so we may we may rename that the Joel Batonio offensive player of the year our next one and I got to tell you, we might, um, unless you pick different, we might have to rename it the Miles Garrett Defensive Player of the Year. He's my pick. Uh, is he yours as well? He's my pick, too. Um, before this season, we did our season predictions podcast. I said I'm being optimistic and saying he's going to play a full season, you know, which he hadn't done since 2018. And I predicted he would get 17 sacks, one per game. Well, he played 17 games. He got 16 sacks. Uh, so pretty close there. And he's not the defensive player of the year. He's been chasing that award. Uh, hasn't got on it yet. Um, I mean, my money's on TJ Watt. I don't think it really – I mean, I know Micah Parsons and some other people are talked about, but um, – it's not going to be miles this year, but this was, this was his best season yet. And it was, uh, you know, a big step for him after, you know, a suspension ended his 2019 season and COVID-19 knocked him out for a couple games in 2020 and, and really kind of derailed the end of his season. Um, uh, yeah, he had the calf injury. Um, uh, I'm sorry, not calf injury. There's a lot of soft tissue injuries on the team. He had a groin injury late in the season and finished it less than hundred percent but was out there every game. Yeah, uh, just another incredible football player. It's easy to see why he and Petonio are, you know, all pro players uh, based on how they play. Now, comeback player of the year is our next one, Nate. And generally, comeback player of the year is reserved for, you know, guys who were injured the season before. Is that the case for your choice? Who's your comeback player of the year for the Browns? Yeah, I am going to go comeback player of the year um, with an injury. Um, I'll go Grant Delpit. Just had his his full rookie season wiped out with an Achilles uh, rupture. And, you know, was able to come and and put together a a nice season for the Browns and finish pretty strong there. I think the implications moving forward is if you're the Browns, you can feel comfortable with John Johnson, the third and Grant Delpit being your starting safeties and Ronnie Harrison kind of fell off the map for you. Um, I thought he might've been your third best defensive player last season. Um, maybe Sheldon Richardson and Olivier Vernon um, would have bumped him down as low as fifth, but I think Ronnie Harrison in 2020 was a top five defensive player for the Browns and, and he's outside of the top 10 now. So um you know, I think that there's probably a good chance that he, he doesn't re-sign and that, you know, John Johnson III and Grant Telpit are, are your starting safeties moving forward. 
Yeah, we we might get to uh, Ronnie Harrison getting an award here in a, in a little bit, but man, we're three for three. We everybody listening, we did not prepare this, by the way, as as we often do not. But Grant Delbit was my pick too. There there honestly wasn't a lot of players to pick from. I didn't think for comeback player of the year. The next one was a little difficult, too, and that is the most improved player on the Browns this season. Man, I I had a really tough time figuring this out because the guys that are, are great, Joel Batonio, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, they were great. The, the guys that were hopefully great were not. You know, Nick Chubb on, on the latter category, too, but like Baker Mayfield, tight ends, um, yada yada yada. To me, it was very hard to come up with a most improved player. I'll give you mine first, just so people really don't think we're we're cheating or I'm cheating off of you. But my most improved player was Dearness Johnson, and that's maybe not good news for the Browns because to me, I, I know he only had 534 yards rushing, but those games that he started, he was dominant. And, and I think he really earned himself a nice paycheck, probably not in Cleveland. So that that to me is why Dearness Johnson, who went from 166 yards in 2020 to 534 in 2021, he's my most improved. Are we still four for four, or do we finally have a deviation, Nate? We're four for four. This is wow. this is really yeah. Um, I got my yellow legal pad here, most improved colon, the Ernest Johnson, 17 games. He was ninth out of 62 running backs from Pro Football Focus uh, grading and just obviously played really well when he ascended to the number one role a couple of times because of COVID-19 and injuries with uh, Nick Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt and restricted free agent, no brainer to tender him uh, and, and, and get him back here one way or another. Um, I do have kind of a secondary choice. I, I don't know if you're going to ask me most pleasant surprise. It was kind of a redundant category that I included last time, but, um, I can tell you who that guy is if you're not going to use that one. I, I have it on the list, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I went with MJ Stewart, so you could, you could call him most improved or most pleasant surprise, but I think he's a guy that makes you feel okay about this Ronnie Harrison situation too. Like MJ Stewart's also an unrestricted free agent coming up here on March 16th. Man, the way he played uh, in those COVID-19 uh, shorthanded roster games, wow, it really jumped out. Um, and to me, it's like totally shocking heading into the season. If you were to tell me MJ Stewart would, would be more impressive than Ronnie Harrison Jr. by a long stretch, I'd be like, you're kidding me. But that's what happened. Yeah, and he's a he's a versatile player too. So I always like that he give, he gives the Browns some options. You know, in case they come across a a safety or two they really like this offseason, he can he can still play cornerback or or vice versa. So fun player, good player, great great pickup by the Browns. We do have a difference here on the most pleasant surprise. Right. I. This might be ridiculous, so feel free to mock me or laugh at me, whatever you need to do. Most pleasant surprise, my pick was Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. I know he's a high draft pick, 
but my my basis of this is that the first two or three games or so of the season, I would I would be watching it. Maybe it's because he wears twenty eight, but I I would just be watching the games. And I'd be like, who is that small safety? And he wasn't making too much of an impact. But then as the season progressed and progressed and progressed, he just got better and better, I thought. And so that that was a nice, pleasant surprise for me, just how he he developed and he played. And he looks like a sensation uh, of a draft pick. So that that's my most pleasant surprise. Your thoughts? I'm not going to mock you at all. And I'll add to just the different weird things that popped up for him. Like, you know, not that COVID oh, is yeah. weird, but he did miss part of COVID part of training camp with covid and then but some weird stuff happened like he had a weightlifting accident or, or an accident in the weight room and busted his forehead had to have stitches over his eye couldn't wear a helmet for a little while had a throat contusion against the chargers had to go to a hospital in, in the los angeles area afterward and had to fly home separately from the team and um you know there were there were some things like that that popped up for him but um he did he continued to get better despite all that so yeah I, I think that's a good choice. Yeah, if, if we created the most bizarre season award, he might win it. I mean, a, a forehead injury. I, maybe he got cracked over the head by a chair from The Undertaker or something. That's the real truth. But the, this <laughs> this is always the, hey, man, it's Royal Rumble season. I got to get one in. Um, but anyway... Biggest disappointment. Maybe this is where the tone of our discussion kind of becomes a bummer. Who is who is your biggest disappointment, Nate? Because I have two down here. Yeah, I got um, I've got multiple as well. That's so, not good. Well, I mean, there's a couple headliners here, right? Yeah, yeah. For the Browns, yeah. it's not good. So I'm gonna go more with what than who. You could make it who if you want, but I'm gonna go. The divorce between Odell Beckham Jr. and the Browns in early November. Disappointing they couldn't work it out. Not totally shocking by any means, but disappointing. Yeah, very, very much so. My Mine's Austin Hooper. He, I know he won this award last year, so maybe we can rename this one too. But just another year of just extremely average play by Austin Hooper, I thought. And I know this is relative to expectations compared to what he's getting paid. It's relative to the quarterback performance. You know, you can talk about plenty of other things, but Austin Hooper to me was just, I don't know, just non-existent as a as a guy you would hope would be in a team that runs so much heavy tight end stuff. He should be a superstar, and he's being paid like one, and he is not. So that to me is disappointing. Then I have Ronnie Harrison on here as well, and it was more for like Ronnie Harrison just had a lot of boneheaded things going on this year on the field. Wasn't he ejected from a game? Um, yeah, the opener when he got enough, yeah. that skirmish with the um, Kansas City Chiefs assistant coach. That's yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Who does that? Um, and then like he had some bonehead penalties throughout the year. I just he 
he can be a really good player. And like you mentioned, he was last year, but this year just wasn't for him. So that, that is our sad category of biggest disappointment. Nate, I had a tough one, tough time with this one too. Most underrated. Um, I've got one, uh, greedy Williams, who could also be a comeback player of the year candidate, but after he missed that entire 2020 season with that shoulder injury, I thought he played really well in spots. Um, you know, Greg Newsom, the second, uh, had a good rookie season, but missed a handful of games. And, and so greedy, um, played a lot and I thought played pretty well and also continued to battle that problematic right shoulder. So it was in and out, uh, throughout the season, but, um, you know, I thought held his own and, and gave the Browns really three good corners to play on the outside. That's a, that's a good point. You know, if we want to rethink these at all, kind of like how you do the biggest disappointment, to me, most underrated can also be kind of underutilized, I think. And to me, if you, if you go on that underutilized criteria, Harrison Bryant, for me is is the choice. I just talked about why Austin Hooper was disappointing. Harrison Bryant, I think, was a little underutilized. He caught 21 passes on 28 targets, and the, the efficiency is just there with him. He doesn't play a ton. I think he probably will more next season. And I know his stats were basically the same thing from his rookie year, but to me, he's he's pretty underutilized and underrated by by the team i guess we'll see i i i'm hopeful we see a little more from him maybe he can double the catches and targets totals in in 2022 but nate this is a good one rookie of the year are you a jok guy or are you a greg newsome guy Uh, i went with jok and you know i did write down runners up for several categories so i have newsome here as a runner up obviously um, and yeah, those are the two logical choices. I just think JOK, um, you know, he was, first of all, he played more games. He played 14 compared with 12 for Newsom. And I think that they both had really strong seasons, but, um, I think, yeah, I, I really like JOK's impact and, and just being different at linebacker in a, in a really positive way than I've seen with the Browns in my dozen seasons covering the team. So I think uh, Newsom is a really good compliment to Denzel Ward. Um, and I think JOK is uh, a really exciting player. And I'm really eager to see what uh, Joe Woods and his staff do with JOK next year, because I do think that they held him back a lot. And Joe Woods talked about all the time, like we don't want to put too much on his plate because then it could become overwhelming and then we're not going to get the type of performance that we could get from him otherwise. So I think that, you know, they eased him along and that helped with the development we were alluding to earlier. So I think we're going to see things open up for him a little bit in 2022. And that's very intriguing. I, I agree completely with, with the idea and the pick. He was mine as well as rookie of the year for the Browns. They, they should be very excited about Greg Newsom too. I think toward the end of the season, that, that went a little under the radar, just how good of a player he is already. So the Browns should be happy with the 
the mix of young stars and veteran stars that they have on defense. You mentioned Joe Woods, so that, that brings up our next one, assistant coach of the year. Last year it was Bill Callahan for us. Who is it for you this year? Yeah, it's Joe Woods. Um, yeah. You know, I think that you just look at the improvements on defense. I think the defense held up its end of the bargain. Andrew Barry revamped it from a personnel perspective in the off season. It paid off Joe Woods, I think, um, you know, brought that talent together. And there was some gelling that needed to be done, you know, early on that there were some definite communication breakdowns. Um, and they did give up a lot of points in some games. But really, that second half of the season, um, they were carrying the team. And you look at how it all panned out in the end. Um, they finished fifth in yards allowed per game, 311.5, and 13th in fewest points per game uh, at 21.8. And just to compare with last season, they were 17th in fewest yards allowed per game at 358.4, and 21st in fewest points allowed per game at 26.2. So again, they, they went... From 2020 in yards allowed, they improved from 17th to 5th, and in points allowed, uh, from 21st to 13. So I give Joe Woods uh, a lot of credit with a lot of new faces um, of bringing it all together. And I don't think anybody can say that, um, you know, he wasted the talent on that side of the ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're back to agreeing on our picks here because he's mine too. I, I really do think if the Browns defense has another season like they just had. We're going to be talking about Joe Woods this time next year about how he's being interviewed for a head coach job somewhere or a few places. Nate, this is my most fun category that we do every year. Best play of the year there. I know the Browns had a down season comparatively to last year, but there were some electric plays which which play stands out for you the most is the best one? Uh, for me, it's uh, Miles Garrett's strip sack and recovery of the fumble and 15-yard return for a touchdown in a Week 14 24-22 uh, win over the Baltimore Ravens. Um, no, it wasn't on Lamar Jackson. It was Tyler Huntley, but it was an amazing play nonetheless. And it was kind of a from a movie script. Miles set the official franchise record for sacks with that play. That was his 15th sack of the season. The previous official record uh, was Reggie Camp and and with 14 sacks in uh, 1984. Now Bill Glass holds the unofficial record with 16 and a half sacks. Um, so Miles is, is still half off that unofficial unofficial because Bill Glass did it before sacks were an official stat. But Miles also scored his first NFL touchdown with that play. So some milestones and a huge play. The Browns wouldn't have won without it. Um, I just thought that kind of encapsulated Miles Garrett's dominance and, and, you know, his ability. That is a great pick. I picked that one as well. If I were to pick a a runner-up, and it's a close runner-up for me, Denzel Ward's 99-yard interception return for a touchdown against the Bengals. The the Browns really took it to the Bengals, I thought, both times this season. And that that's saying something since Cincinnati is 
you know, everybody's NFL playoff darling going to the AFC title game on Sunday against the Chiefs. But that that returning, you know, just associating a 99-yard play with the Browns is just fun. You know, like, I, Nate, I have the benefit of being unprofessional in my home while you have to be a very unbiased professional in the press box. So when Denzel Ward records a 99-yard interception return, I am jumping out of my couch and waving my arm like, you know, I'm, I'm some schmo on the sidelines. So that's the benefit <laughs> I have over here. Um, and you you do not get that pleasure because you're a professional and I am not. So that's my pick, though. That, that Denzel Ward play, man, whew, November 7th was the date. I, I might rewatch that after we finish recording. That was a high point of the season was that win over the Bengals. So it was a, really the complete game that the Browns put together. Unfortunately, yep. they did not play, get complimentary football nearly enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, just to kind of circle back and, uh, you know, my, my how I wrote down a, a runner-up for some of these categories, my offensive player of the year runner-up was Nick Chubb. And mm-hmm. that should be no surprise. Um you know, I said about him in the All-Pro team earlier. And then my defensive player of the year runner-up uh, was Denzel Ward, and I had written down that, you know, he played 15 games, which is, you know, missed one with an injury, one with COVID. Significant for him with his injury history. He had three interceptions, including that, obviously, the 99-yard return that you just uh, described. So, um, yeah, really uh, impressive season for Denzel Ward, one that should earn him a contract extension. Uh, we've said that about a dozen times, so we'll see this offseason and the Browns can get that wrapped up. Definitely uh, a guy who's worthy and deserving of it. Um, so what's your worst play, Dan? You want to go first? Yeah, that's always the yang to this, the best play yang, whatever. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, we might have a repeat here too, I feel. If not, I'll be shocked by what you pick. But my worst play was Baker Mayfield in week two attempting to tackle a Houston Texan following an interception and him tearing his labrum in his left shoulder. That, to me, defined the season for the Browns. It it just just mired them in in terribleness, basically. If, if that didn't happen, it, it's such a big what-if because it was so early in the season – and then he decided to just, you know, play through it and credit to him for being tough. But you just have to wonder what this Browns season would look like if he did not tear his labrum on that play. To me, I, I think you're talking about a team that makes the playoffs and they're on the same path the Bengals are on right now. I think that's what you're talking about. But unfortunately, week two... Texans, torn labrum. Whew, that's the worst play. Uh, do you have anything different from that? I have that play, and <laughs> uh, I can add on to it a little bit. It was a rookie mistake by Anthony Schwartz. He did not finish his route. Uh, if he finishes his route, I don't think that's an interception. Um, and Kevin Stefanski, who is very calm and reserved, as people who listen to this podcast certainly know, on the sideline usually doesn't get emotional. Um he got after Anthony Schwartz right away after that play. 
And I asked him about it after the game, and he said, yeah, you know, we've got to, Anthony's got to do a better job there, at the very least breaking that up. And I think that it just, it was, like I said, a, a, a tough lesson to learn for a rookie in a second real NFL game. Um, and Justin Reed picks it off. And, yeah, the rest is history with Baker trying to make the tackle. So, you know, I also had, for biggest disappointment, my runner-up, uh, had a couple things written down. I had Jed Wills Jr.'s very tough season, which is also affected by ankle injury uh, and actually plural ankle injuries that he kept suffering in the early uh, part of the season. Didn't finish any of the first four games. That had to be shut down for a little bit. Uh, he got COVID late in the season, too. So it's just like one thing after another for him, left tackle. And uh, obviously, Jack Conklin going out with the, with the ruptured patellar tendon, at, at your two-time all-pro right tackle, that made for, for a very you know tough task on the offensive line. Um, also wrote down passing game as a whole, and, and obviously Baker Mayfield, because I agree with you, Dan. There's no way that Baker Mayfield would have had as poor a season as he did if he were fully healthy. And it's hard to be fully healthy in the NFL, but he certainly was far from it. And, you know, I just think about how the season started with Baker wanting to be with the Browns long term and the Browns hoping that, you know, everything would work out and they would get that contract extension done with him. And then those talks never materialized. Season went sideways on Baker and the Browns. And here we are with him to go full circle having to scale back on social media because of all the criticism he's receiving after a brutal season. And obviously um, things have just gotten kind of ugly between him and parts of the fan base. And, you know, the relationship with Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield's under a microscope and whether that can um, be what those guys needed to be. I mean, there are all kinds of questions about him and his future with the Browns. And in early September, it was like, this is the guy it's not a matter of if but when and i just think if that interception return doesn't happen he doesn't try to make the tackle we're probably not (laughs) having to deal with all those questions i just mentioned yep yeah just a a season defining play in the worst way possible really uh, Nate, we have we have a few more if you want to power through them. We have Andrew Barry's best move. For me, this was the, the trade-up to go get JOK in the second round of the draft. Of course, the Browns went up from 59 to 52, trading with the Panthers. Branson had to give up a ton. Um, they basically swapped third and fourth round picks with the Panthers to, to make that move. And JOK looks like a, he's going to be a stalwart for a really long time. What's your best move from Andrew Barry? Well, for me, it's signing Jadavian Clowney in April, um, yeah. a year after he resisted the courtship of Andrew Barry and didn't want to come to Cleveland. Andrew Barry got him in here. He felt uh, Clowney felt all the love and signed up, and the Browns got the most amount of games out of Jadavian Clowney uh, that he's had in years, um, and. You know, he ends up playing 14. You know, he's another guy who COVID late in the season. He also sat out one game when he it was against the Chargers in week five. He felt some soreness in his knee, so he didn't go out there. But other than that, a very healthy season, um, you know, given his um, injury history. And he comes up with nine sacks. 
I mean, he like fully replaces the really good production they got from Olivier Vernon last season, not last season, but the 2021 season, to be clear. Uh, I'm sorry. Jeez. These seasons mess me up, Dan. 2020 <laughs> season for Vernon. Clowney gets the nine sacks in 2021 season. His career high is nine and a half. I mean, he had a he resurrected his career here. Um, he did. I think he's the most important guy for the Browns to try to retain out of their own free agents. Um, so, you know, the Browns want him back. We'll see. Uh, he's, he's clearly open to coming back, um, as he's stated in a couple interviews in December uh, slash January. So um, we'll see if the money works out because – you know, obviously it's going to come down to it, but he li- he liked it here. He liked the experience here. He liked playing with Miles Garrett. Um, he liked playing for Joe Woods and and Chris Kiffin, who who's now gone. So the Browns do need do need a new D line coach. Um, they got a lot of continuity on the coaching staff, but that is one spot they have to fill. Uh, but I think yeah, I think Clowney's my pick, and uh, it looks like a brilliant move by Andrew Berry to sign him to that one year deal. It does. It, it it looks really great. Hopefully he does resign. I mean that that's going to be a big dollar free agent. I feel so that that's that's my only hesitation of of picking that. In that was it a great season in vain? You know. So we'll see. Of course, Nate will have coverage of all the moves the Browns make this off season. But last two real quick. We have best big picture development and worst big picture development. How are you looking at these ones? Oh boy. Um, the, the worst was what I just said about Baker earlier and you called yeah. it a, a seizing defining play that interception uh, return that he got hurt on. I, you know, it could be career defining too. Now we'll see how he bounces back from it. Um, but that's what I mean. Like, it so many questions about his future here and like i i don't think that no matter what happens with the browns i don't think his days as a starter are done um but you know this is a tremendous amount of adversity here so um i I just think that that's just everything about baker mayfield in this season and and having to bounce back and and we know he bounced back from a poor 2019 um and had a really nice 2020 season, won a playoff game with Kevin Stefanski in their first season together. So it's possible there's a track record of rebounding there, but you know, he had surgery just last week. So there's, there's a lot more going on there and uh, we'll see. I think an interesting obstacle that is in his way is he wore that harness and actually two different types of harness since he got hurt in week two, you know, throughout the whole season. Um, and that was a hindrance and, you know, Alex Van Pelt finally late in the season really admitted that publicly and said it handcuffed Baker and hindered him. And, and, and Baker had talked about, you know, even the lower body issues that he suffered once he got, got used to the harness dealing with heel and knee injuries. Um, you know, those were tough on him cause he's a violent thrower. He uses his lower body and He's like kind of a full body thrower. He's not a flick of the wrist guy. You know, he's a, he's smaller for an NFL quarterback. And really, you know, there's a lot of twists. There's a lot of torque. And so I just think this is a long way of me saying getting the mechanics right after they were out of whack because of the harness, because of the lower body injuries, because of the labrum, all that fractured humerus bone. 
all the above. I think getting the mechanics right again, that's going to be a significant offseason challenge for him too. Especially, you know, he's not going to be thrown until April. Yeah, it it is. I I don't remember if I said this last week or on our Great Lost podcast that I forgot to record a few weeks ago, but one of the best offseason bits of news that could pop up for the Browns this offseason is that Baker Mayfield has been talking or hanging out with Drew Brees and, and figuring out how he did it. Because to me, they're, they're just so similar as quarterbacks. And, and Drew Brees made it work. Didn't have to roll out all the time, all that kind of stuff. He, he was extremely, extremely effective. So, yeah, uh, man, best picture development for me, best big picture development, rather. The defense, you know, just, just the way it came together and, and looks like it's Honestly, now it looks like the strength of the team, which is pretty shocking to say after last, you know, the 2020 season. Um, but Joe Woods, man, hats off to him. The guy, the guy got a lot of hate at the start of the year, certainly a lot in 2020. But he gives the guy some credit. They they really turned it around. I, I know that, you know, the, these superstar players like Miles Garrett play a lot into the success of of the defense, but big picture the the way the defense has come along and the way it's structured if, if they can figure out a thing or two and make sure that Jadavion Clowney isn't brought back that they supplant him with somebody who is you know pretty pretty equally effective that to me is the best big picture development in Cleveland yeah I'm gonna go on defense to uh, narrow it down a little bit uh and include Andrew Barry, I just think he hit on his first two draft picks. You know, so we've covered so many Browns teams and so many Browns regimes that have blown all these, you know, high-stakes draft picks. And I think that Greg Newsom, the second, and the first-round pick, and Jeremiah Usakoromo, the second-round pick, um, are off to really impressive starts. You know, you got to you got to continue it, right? I mean, a rookie season is a rookie season. It isn't a career. Um, so we'll see with a, a, a larger sample size. But I think those guys are off to really strong starts. And that's very encouraging for not only the defense, as you mentioned, Dan, uh, playing really well and you know, becoming a strength of the team, but also for Andrew Barry and um, you know his abilities as a general manager, um, you know, which I, I wasn't doubting before, but I think that, um, you know, these two draft picks certainly, um, you know, build his resume. They really did. And that wraps up our 2021 Cleveland Browns season awards. Play the, play the theme music in your head uh, as, as we conclude things here. Nate, for, for the podcast, do you have anything else this week before we check out? Uh, I'm just wondering if Kevin Stefanski kind of got lost in the shuffle in our awards show, Dan. If you had to have to make up a category for Kevin Stefanski, put you on the spot, what is it? Jeez. I would say most rigid. And, uh, <laughs> In okay. in that, I just didn't. 
I didn't see a lot of changes in how the Browns operated on offense as the season wore on. It yeah. just looked like they were trying to do the same kind of stuff. And, like, you know, I I, I watched, of course, the, the classic Bills-Chiefs game this past weekend. Everybody did, I think. And just seeing, like, Tyreek Hill and what they do with him, and I, I immediately thought, why can't the Browns try and do this with Anthony Schwartz? You know, and I don't know if Anthony Schwartz landed in the doghouse for what we talked about earlier in, in week two, kind of messing up his route, but just the the lack of creativity when you needed to change things up on offense, that, that stuck out to me. So Kevin Stefanski, if I were to give him an award, most rigid, what do you think? Um, I, I think it's a, a good award. I was almost going to go with um, best big picture development is that, you know, I, I, despite the season and, and you know, I, I don't think it would be a bad idea if he, um, you know, let Alex Van Pelt try to call the plays. I think Alex Van Pelt, um, you know, had a really good showing in, in the wild card game in Pittsburgh when Kevin Stefanski was on, on his couch. And, and I think the players really um, appreciated Van Pelt and what he did uh, in a tough spot. And they, they won the playoff game at Heinz Field at, in, you know, a year ago, basically. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm going to be down on Kevin Stefanski if, if that doesn't happen. But I just think that there were enough moments and enough spots um, in the 2021 season uh, that make me think that that changeup might kind of, you know, just be good for everyone involved. Um, and you don't know till you try, right? So um, I know Van Pelt did get a crack at it again against the uh, against the Raiders in that, that COVID-19 game when, you know, in December, Kevin Stefanski missed that one uh, due to the virus again. But, uh, and, you know, whatever. It was a weird game, right? They were missing 20-some guys. Uh, Nick Mullins was starting quarterback. Um, and I know that there were questions about the play calling at the end of that one with, with handing it off three times, especially on that third and three uh, when they needed to keep the ball. Um, so, you know. Alex Van Pelt was not immune to play calling criticism <laughs> in the 2021 sure. season either, even though he got one crack at it is my point. But I think the positive development is, is I think overall, I kind of got off on a tangent there, but I think that just like I have confidence in Andrew Barry overall, I, I still think I, I, I have confidence in Kevin Stefanski uh, being a good head coach Um and and we'll see uh, again, just like I said about the, the rookies, like a rookie season is in a career. And, and Kevin Stefanski's first year as a head coach when he won NFL Coach of the Year, that isn't his full coaching tenure. Um, he's he's got to just like the the, the players um, and, and the team as a whole. He's got to bounce back strong. I, I just happen to think that he's got what it takes to do it. Um, you know, maybe that's just you know, benefit of the doubt of how impressive he was in 2020. Um, but that's kind of where I am with him that I think overall, you know, you still feel outside looking in 
that they've got a pretty promising tandem at head coach and GM under Paul D. Podesta, and that you think those guys uh, are still working well together. That's the impression I have, and I think that's worth noting as a, a big picture development. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. I still believe in Kevin Stefanski too, so I, I don't want people to to think otherwise. I, I think he's an excellent head coach and certainly the the best one the Browns have had in a in quite some time. But you know, Baker Mayfield injury or not, I think some things are clear that he has to change on the offense. You know, whether it's some personnel moves or you know just the the scheme tweak the scheme some. We'll see, but you know. We'll, we'll, of course, have coverage of anything that happens with the Browns over at BeaconJournal.com slash sports slash Browns. Uh, Nate's going to be on top of everything. I mean, we're at the end of January, and he's still pumping out uh, story after story. So make sure you're checking him out. Consider subscribing to the Beacon Journal. Also consider uh, checking out USA Today Sports Plus. It's available on the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. That is going to do it for Cover 2 this week. Thank everybody for listening, and we will talk to you next time.